Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Leanne Spencer. Leanne, how the devil are you? I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Your sound is awesome on that phone, by the way. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can, yeah. Brilliant. So, Leanne, welcome uh, to our podcast. I think you're returning the favour because I appeared on your podcast, I think it was about a year ago now. I want to say a year ago, is that right? Yeah, it feels about right, yes. So, uh, Leanne also was a guest of ours and a keynote speaker at one of our flagship events, T2 Talks. I think that was two years ago, so back a few years ago now. Uh, And since we've always stayed in touch and collaborated on a couple of things, Leanne, um, Leanne is, I'm going to say expert in corporate well-being, or I like the word guru, um, in corporate well-being. She's an author, a podcaster, and she's the founder of Body Shot. Um, And where are you based? Are you down in London, Leanne? We are in London, but I'm tempted to say we're global now because we really are. But yeah, I mean, I'm in in West Norwood and South London. Our office is in West Dulwich, which is literally a seven-minute walk up the road. So Nice. Uh, it's a nice, I'd say it's actually a nice commute, but it's a bit short. I prefer a slightly longer commute, but anyway, one, one won't grumble. Exactly. That's because you can get your steps in, right? But, exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Leanne is the founder of Body Shop Performance. Now, Body Shop Performance is an award-winning health and well-being company. You work with businesses uh, to create culture of energy, vitality, and performance, um, and underpin well-being as a competitive advantage, and it's something you believe, uh, sort of believe passionately about. And one of the uh, it links nicely into what we're going to talk about today, Leanne, which is, as you know, at T2 we have clients who um, access our content on the hub, who uh, access what we do face to face, and a lot of it is around leadership and cultures and organisational change. We even throw in a bit of sales and customer service training in what we do. But we also, over recent years, have developed more of a, um, a well-being type of, not offering, but we're starting to delve more into overall well-being. And primarily because it's come to the fore from customers who are now focusing on well-being as more of a strategic enabler for their organisation. Um, something you believe passionately about, Leanne, is mm. you can gain competitive advantage from well-being, from focusing on improving well-being across your organisation. And you're a firm believer that it shouldn't just be something that sits as an initiative within HR. This should be owned at sea level. It should yeah. be one of the strands that all businesses are focusing on as, a, as one of your top business uh, initiatives, if that makes sense. So do you want to just start by giving me a little bit um, of, of an introduction as to why you believe so passionately about that? Yes. So to start with the first point about well-being being a competitive advantage, I think the traditional ways that companies have, have competed with each other for talent have been salary and bonuses, uh, company car, corner office if you're a certain level of seniority. And I just don't believe that that's how we're going to be seriously competing anymore for talent at any level of the organisation. And I was saying all of this pre-COVID uh, that I think well-being will be the thing that, that attracts staff or or teams of talent into an organization i just don't think it's going to be those other things post covid the focus has never been more on on well-being Um, so the kind of things that might make a company attractive would be their remote working policy which has all changed now anyway um 
what kind of educational resources they have, what, what proactive well-being resources they have. So most companies do pretty well on reactive. They've got the employee assistance program. Um, they've got occupational health. They've got counseling that you can draw down on if you're feeling depressed or anxious or stressed. But they're not that great at stopping people needing those resources in the first place. And that's really where well-being in my mind comes in. It's about educating an individual on how to sleep, on how to maintain good mental health and mentally nourish themselves, on how to be energised. And they are three things that I think, as an individual, I'm very interested in all those things for myself. But as a manager or somebody who's caretaking people, if you like, within a company, I'm interested in those things as well because they really underpin performance and productivity. So companies that are, that are game-changing, that are really forward-thinking, will recognise that well-being is, is how they're going to get talent into the organisation and then keep it. And then yeah. there's lots of other benefits to it as well. You can go out and win awards and make a big PR noise about that. Um, you can use it to, to pull people into the organisation. You can also um, use it as a way of, of really attracting the right kind of people you want. It's, it's the, the benefits are many, but my second point um, around it being represented and underpinned at sea level. I think if a company is talking about well-being, but it's coming from HR or it's coming from a different level and it's not being openly backed up by, by the C-suite, that would be a worry for me. You know, If I walk past the CEO and they look kind of out of shape, tired and a bit beat up, that would concern me as well. You, know, you really have to have the teeth um, in the bite of well-being for a company you know, rather than just pay lip service or what I call fruit bowl well-being. Yeah, makes sense. You just said something there that's really interesting, Leanne, and I also believe in this, but I sometimes struggle uh, when speaking with executives to, to, to understand what they're actually doing from a, a proactive perspective. So you, you sort of defined well-being as very much exists in organisations as a reactive tool. So when people have gone past the brink and their well-being has been jeopardised, mm. then they try to react to the situation and, and, and put a plaster over it. Whereas what you're talking about is more preventative. So it's like, if, if you're if strategically you're getting ahead of the game and looking after well-being, then you don't have to do that reactive stuff. Um, can you give me a couple of examples of what what would constitute a preventative, proactive well-being initiative rather than a reactive one? Yeah. So perhaps a series of interactive workshops helping people understand what's a healthy circadian rhythm, uh, what what kind of hygiene and discipline do I have in order to make sure I get the best possible night of sleep? What is sleep and how is it governed? What hormones are involved? Um, is light involved? Is temperature involved? And really give people the, the, the basics or in some cases quite in-depth information about what comprises a good sleep so that they can then put that into practice. And uh, you may do another one for mental health. You may do another one for resilience, another one for self-care. Um, lots of different types of content. So there's an educational piece so that people can go off and then tweak that um, so that it works for them. And you've educated them as well. You've got something they can then share with their family and their colleagues and friends and you get the ripple effect. Um, another yeah. instance would be to have a portal deployed um, where all that content sits there and anyone with an email address of the company um, is able to access that content so that as and when they need it, they can go in, right, I'll watch a quick video on sleep quick video on mental health, quick video on, on how to maintain a healthy immune system, for example. And that, that's one into a couple of examples of it. Um, it's giving people the information before they might perhaps need it, anticipating what people might need. 
um, but also asking questions and regularly surveying the workforce and saying what kind of content is of interest to you. Yeah, so so a lot of that is educational, and you and and you know you use the word educational, um, which is fantastic. Um, practical, uh, is there? What can you do from a practical perspective, which would help this preventative, stroke proactive approach to well-being? Um, practically, um, do you mean face to face or giving people a tangible? Yeah, I mean, and and this is it. I mean, it's it's fascinating because. Edu- the educational piece is so important. It's so important. But obviously, when I'm talking about practical things, I'm talking around some organisations who provide gym memberships for um, for staff so they can practically go do something about their health, their yeah. physical health, or they provide fruit uh, free of charge within the organisation because that practically allows them to, increase, uh, to improve their nutrition. And they're the general common ones that you tend to find. Mm. But is there any like innovative stuff like that where organisations are deploying practical solutions to improve well-being? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get really funky with this. So there's technology, for example, something like a human charger. So we know that uh, light is important for energy and light is very important for the circadian rhythm. Exposure to natural light during the day. And sorry, then... sorry, Leanne, can I just ask? What that's a really impressive term, but even I don't understand it. What is a circadian rhythm? Okay, so it's it's um it's a very good question. It's not an obvious thing at all. So circadian rhythm is essentially it's our sleep cycle. Um, it's it's how we sleep, um, and the rhythm of of sleep. For most of us, um, we we're awake in the day and asleep at night. And the circadian rhythm is in part governed by a little bit of the brain called the pineal gland. And it's actually within there um, and and also the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which I don't know much about. It's a part of the brain that's essentially our body clock. And our circadian rhythm is our sleeping rhythm. So some of us have a different chronotype to others. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are afternoon or evening people. So we're good in the mornings or we're good in the evenings. That's basically your circadian rhythm. Um, And light's really important for that because during the day you want tons of natural light. And then at night, you want to limit your exposure to a frequency of light, which is just called blue light. And that's emitted by the sun, which is fine because we're awake in the day. But it's also emitted from the device that I'm holding now talking to you, from our televisions, our laptops, our iPads, and the junk lighting overhead, which is just the light bulbs in our homes and offices. And the human charger mimics light. So it's a, a great little device that can be used to help Somebody who maybe has seasonal affective disorder, who comes into work in the dark, works in an office and then leaves in the dark. Um, It's also medically approved for jet lag and it's very good at giving you energy. So a practical thing would be to have a few of those lying around the office that people can just plug into if they need a shot of energy. Because it's it's basically the nickname, the sun in the pocket. So that's quite biohacky, but that's a practical thing. Um, You could have space in the office where people can move a bit. So maybe there's some yoga mats on the floor. Um, there may be a foam roller where they can sort of simulate a massage by rolling their body over the foam roller and getting fresh oxygenated blood into the body. Um, all of this stuff is not typical. Um, it's, it's not stuff that you're going to see in many offices, but I think forward-thinking companies that really want to lead with well-being, and I presume anyone listening to this is looking for ways that they can really position well-being right up front. Um, these are all things you could think about. Uh, maybe even a sleep pod. So companies like Facebook yeah. and Google have this, but other companies too. Um, a face pod is just a, a little unit that you can go into and just get 
a 20 minute nap, for example, because we know there's some really good science around how that re-energizes the body and the mind and boosts creativity and productivity and so on. Um, so that would be another thing. Uh, or just yeah. giving someone, I guess, more practical last one would be helping people understand how to set up their desk environment at home or in the office to promote more movement. Yeah. So stand, little standing desk hack or a saddle stool or encouraging people to stand up when they make or take a phone call, having something heavy by their desk that they can sort of pick up or just do some air squats. So, I mean, that would be a very practical example that most companies could do straight away. It's just uh, a bit of education around how to stay active while you're predominantly desk bound. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like the education comes first and then leads into some of these practical things actually starting to organically happen. So yeah. the more we understand and learn about why posture is important, why natural light is important, um, why sleep is important, etc., the more likely we are to make the practical changes that will then make the big difference. And that's very much still preventative. Right. So uh, yeah. you, me you mentioned something there, Leanne. Let me pose a little bit of a question to you. So you mentioned these uh, what did you call them? Human lights? Yeah, the human charger. Yeah. The human charger. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it, right? The human charger where it actually uh, simulates natural light and it's great for energy uh, and mood, etc. Now, one of the things uh, from a science perspective, so I'm quite sciencey. So one of the things from a science perspective that I understand is the reason why getting outdoors and, and in nature and, and natural light is sometimes of value to us is because we need vitamin D. Mm -hmm. um so we get naturally a lot of our vitamin d from sun and from natural light um and in this country we bloody struggle right so we've got to get all we can in a very small window and um, would it be uh would you would you advise that taking a simple liquid vitamin d supplement for example on a regular basis would have the same effects as maybe the human charger or is it completely different they're different in the sense that the human charger can't, so we can only synthesize vitamin D3 from the sun, as you say. The human charger couldn't help us with that. But it would help get light into the brain via the ear canal, which wakes the brain up, essentially. It tells it it's still daytime, and that can be energizing as well. Um, the D3 is an interesting one, because obviously the immune system is a very big topic. And one of the things we're going to struggle with as we move into the next phase of recovery is people's immune systems will be slightly compromised because we haven't been exposed to each other and public transport, for example, for three months. So that's, that's going to be one of the challenges. We may not have gone out as much, so we may not have been subjected to much vitamin D3 from the sun. Uh, and we did have some, some fairly good weather during lockdown, certainly in London. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of things there where our immune systems aren't as robust as they could be because we've been isolating. And we may not have been getting access to vitamin D3, which we know is very important for the immune system. So I would, you know... Some companies are even thinking about providing their staff with a vitamin D3 test. Right. But I would certainly recommend that people think about, uh, about doing that on a personally or privately if, if the companies aren't providing it. It's about £39 via a company called Forth. So Forth with Life is their website. And I've no affiliation or certainly no kickback affiliation with anything I'm mentioning here. Um, so for £39 or a trip to the doctors, you can get a vitamin D3 test. And that would be a good shout. Um, because, yeah, we know that that's strongly linked to the immune system, but also energy, unexplained aches and pains, a lot of that can be put down to, to a vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and that's a really interesting point. I'm, as you know, 
I've got Sjogren's syndrome, which is an autoimmune mm. condition. And I remember a few years ago, you, you advised me to go see a, a nutritionist and get a, a gut test um, yeah. just to find out if I was deficient or, or reacting or allergic to anything uh, in particular. And I found out some fascinating results from that, which ended up uh, in me taking an intolerance, food intolerance test as well, which uh, lo and behold, I found out, Leanne, I don't know if I shared with this with you since, that I was uh, allergic or reacting to the proteins in milk. So right. um, I, I ended up removing milk from my um, from my diet. I'm literally 18 months in and my uh, inflammation levels and autoimmune symptoms have significantly reduced. You know, they haven't mm. gone entirely and there's different things that flare things up. But just doing some of that investigative work around what are my current levels? Because I had the, the D3 test, I had the B12 test, I had everything and that was all normal. But for me, it was it was this um this my my body reacting to um to milk proteins so mm, so interesting having an mot and I ha and just you know even if you have to pay privately having an mot sometimes can really give you some valuable information about your own personal well-being because as you know our immune systems are all vastly different from person to person and uh and and you you your own your own unique dna if you like so what mm. some people can tolerate or or are deficient in is not necessarily what you might be so yeah. Um, is this what you provide at Body Shop, Leanne? Do you mind me asking? Do you provide organisations with the ability to do this type of testing for employees? Or is, yes. is it... Yeah, we do. Um, we, we, uh, uh, we do the testing as part of the health coaching programmes we put together for leaders. So we have a six-week or three-month coaching programme. We also do six and 12 months, but typically if it's coming through an organisation, it's six weeks. And at the outset of that, we try and take as much guesswork as we can out of what might be going on for an individual. So we'll do a genetic test, which is, if you like, your blueprint for good health. You never have to do it again. It's a one-off thing. And it tells you the type of food you should be eating, requirements, um, your sensitivity to things like fats and carbs, and the type of exercise you respond best to. And then we'll do a blood test because that's real-time data. Your genetics are your genetics. Um, so genetically, we know that you're, you've got a raised requirement for vitamin D3. That's great, but if we don't know what your existing levels are, we won't know whether you need to supplement or not. So the blood test gives us the real-time data. And then we wear a bit of tech uh, or fit a bit of tech on somebody that, that's worn for three days and it tracks all the nervous system responses uh, that that person undergoes across those three days, two working days, one weekend. So we can see how much deep restorative sleep they're getting, how quickly they fall asleep into deep sleep. Um, what their stress responses are throughout the day, you know, is a, a whole sea of red where they're sympathetic dominant, i.e. stressed, and very few pockets of green, which is recovery. All that kind of stuff just gives us a picture of the, the load that their, that person's nervous system is under. And then we can combine that data with some subjective questions and put together a bespoke program that gets that person sleeping better, moving more, feeling more energised. And then the company gets the benefit of that increased energy and, and productivity and performance. Now, you may not want to answer this on this podcast, Leanne, so you can tell me to, uh, to piss off if you want. However, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask the question. If I was an employee or if I was just me listening to this, I'm already interested. If I was to do the genetic uh, testing, the current blood test and where the device for the nervous system tracking for a couple of days, what are you talking around as a yeah. cost for one individual to go through that process? Well, as a six-week program, one thousand eight hundred right. fat. So not it's all relative, but yeah, you know, not not enormous amount for a company to put a leader through a six-week program. Um, and then across those six weeks, we would cover off sleep, 
mental health and energy. We give you everything we've got on that and anything else that came up in those coaching sessions. Yeah. So that's everything, uh, the expertise, the interpretation of the results and the testing and the tech. Yeah, amazing. Love it. Right, let me bring it back a second. I've got, I want to I divert it back to uh, something we started with, which was believing that well-being it can, can serve a competitive advantage, which we've already started to talk about. Um, and, mm. and also why the C-suite should own it. And let me just give you a little bit of something I talk a lot about to organisations and see if we can draw the parallels. So in terms of investment and spending money, organisations generally spend money and invest the most in four high-level business outcome areas. And, um, and, it, and there's many different things that people spend their money on in organisations, but you can link it to these four main business outcome sort of high-level strategic things. And, and I've been thinking about well-being, and I'd like you to sort of, think about these four and just talk through which ones you think overall well-being impact so the first reason buyers buy generally in organizations is can you help me increase my revenues can you help me sell more stuff increase my revenues and grow that's the number one reason organizations will invest if it helps them increase revenues and grow number two can you help me save costs so as well as growing revenues, we want to become efficient and lean in terms of our outgoings and overhead. So can you help me reduce or save costs in my organization? If so, I will buy your products or service. Number three, can you help me wow my customers or deliver better products or services to my customers? And if so, I will buy. And number four is an interesting one. Can you help me engage or develop my people to be more productive? So they're the four high-level reasons when we've surveys and researches that you can almost underpin everything else into the four buckets. Number one, can you help me increase my revenue and grow? Number two, can you help me reduce my costs and be more lean? Mm-hmm. Number three, can you help me wow my customers or deliver better products and services to my customers? Or number four, can you help me engage or develop my people? Now, I'm already thinking about mm. this type of stuff that you're, you're talking about, but I'm going to ask you the question. You believe it should sit at C-suite and it's a competitive advantage. Which of those mm-hmm. four big buckets does this type of stuff come under? Okay, well, I would say all. So let's take them one by one. Revenues, we know that well-being um, directly contributes to the bottom line, and it does that via a number of different ways. You've got happier, healthier, more resilient teams. So that means potentially, or usually, much less absenteeism. A company we work with, Anderson, Anderson and Brown in Aberdeen, got a 50% reduction in their absenteeism rates. So that's huge. Yep. Um, that's one way of doing it. Um, you've got happier, healthier, resilient teams. They're more likely to look after your customers better. They're more likely to turn up and be really productive. So you get less presenteeism, which is harder to manage or to gauge. You're presenteer, my turn up hungover, but I'm not doing much. But I'm there. Um, so that's, that's another aspect to it. Um, you will be able to attract and then retain key talent into your organization and that's going to contribute to the bottom line as well when you've got the best people you can get working on your business on solving your customers problems so that's a handful of things for revenue reducing costs i've mentioned the big one already which is reducing the cost of absenteeism the cost of losing the candidate that you really wanted which is harder to measure um so definitely getting in cost down i mean i don't know how much organizations typically spend on occupational health in the employee assistance program but if you can have that underutilized because you've got this really proactive well-being strategy that stops people needing those resources in the first place, that's definitely going to well, save you costs. And, and, and on that as well, Leanne, one of the biggest costs to companies in terms of losing money or spending money is employee churn. 
So when people leave the organisation yep. and they have to go back again from the interview process to, to, to the whole recruitment process to the onboarding, it, on average, it takes an employee six to nine months to get up to full productivity. So, you know, the more churn your experiences in as an organisation, the more it costs, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it costs something like 35000 to onboard uh, a member of staff. So if you're having to do that every couple of years because they're leaving or even sooner, you can see how that could contribute to costs and take off the bottom line. In terms of wowing, was the third one wowing um, your customers? Yeah, wowing your customers or delivering a better experience, product or service to my customers. Yeah. So I've seen this happen in companies uh, more anecdotally than as much as personal experience where when you've got that happy, healthy workforce, they deliver a little bit more, you know, a bit more discretionary effort that sometimes as a customer, you'll see an experience. For example, um, TrueDark is the main manufacturer of blue light blocking glasses. And I bought some pairs from them and they came over from the US and then my new, she's not new anymore, I've had her two years, but my little white rescue dog, Cammy from Romania, was obviously a little bit nervous. She was still a, a puppy of a year old when she came over and she chewed a few things. Um, including a pair of blue light blocking glasses. And she chewed, I think, one of the lenses off them. So I wrote to True Dark and I said, um, I'm afraid the dog's had a go at the glasses. I don't want a replacement pair, but I'd love just to replace It wasn't even the lens, it was the bridge, I think. It was something you needed, but it was a small part. And they sent through, they actually sent me back the replacement part, but that wasn't the wow bit. The wow bit was a handwritten note that came with it from customer service with um with a here's your replacement part you know maybe recommend that you buy some dog toys and here's three tips for keeping your dog entertained or something like that it was a funny little handwritten note um they've gone above and beyond rather than just send the part out or send me an automated email to say a shipment's on its way so that's that's almost certainly come from someone who loves what they do yeah absolutely um you know it's not someone who's watching the clock and can't wait to get out so and I think when you've got happy, healthy, resilient people, they're going to go above and beyond for you. And it's going to emanate outwards to your client base in the, in the way that they interact. Um, they'll be more creative. They're going to be more more productive. They're going to have better ideas if they're sleeping well and they're feeling good about things. And they're really allied to the company values and purpose. So I think it contributes in that sense. And then more engaged employees, all of what I've just said. Yeah. Really, um, and employees respond very well. I've seen this when, when we work with clients to somebody coming in and saying, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me how you're sleeping. How do you mentally nourish yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think at, at Trans2, you know, we take all of we, we contribute to the four main reasons by is by in some way, a couple of them more than others, but in, in, in some direct way to all four. And that's really what when we teach sales training, we always say to people, yeah, you know, tell me, tell me your product or service. And they instantly go into features, functionality and benefits. Mm. And I say, right, start again. What, what, which of these four things do you help a client achieve? Because that's the language you need to talk. That's what organizations are, where they're spending money and why they'll part with their hard end profit. Mm. You know, if you're going to help them achieve one of those four true business outcomes. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, Quick question for you. Uh, might be a controversial question. You might want to answer it. You might want to not. Uh, I have an opinion on it. I'd love your opinion on it. Um, one of the challenges as to why I believe well-being is not all, always at sea level or doesn't get the strategic recognition it deserves is because it usually falls under HR. And I find that in a lot of organisations, the HRD role or HR doesn't have a seat at the board. 
Uh, mm. It does in some. I mean, in some of the bigger organisations that you've mentioned already, you've got the chief heart officer and the, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But um, in, in many mid-size organisations, small to mid-size organisations, still very large, but what you would class as small to mid-size, HR doesn't always have a seat at the, on the strategic leadership team or on the board. That's, that's yep. when, the, when well-being doesn't get the, the airtime, if you like, or, or the recognition it deserves. Would you agree that that's the case in your experience? And, and the second part of that is, does it matter, do you believe that it doesn't matter what size of organisation you are, you should have human resources sat on that, on that street, strategic enabling team or that board? Yeah, you absolutely should. Um, but beyond that, I, I actually think well-being should sit at sea level, as, I, as, as I've said, and we talked about at the outset. Um, so you're saying not, it, it shouldn't just sit with a, a HR leader, it should sit? No, it should be right at the top. Yeah, driven by the CEO right the or the chief exec. Dr- yeah, driven by the CEO. Um, you know, the CEO doesn't need to be a um, triathlon running uh, health nut, but they do need to be completely behind the idea that employee well-being is how we're going to lead this organisation. It's at the heart and centre of it. Um, you know, I love the fact that, that, that Bain and Media have got a chief heart, chief heart officer, but whether you've got that kind of role or not, if your chief exec isn't fully behind well-being, it's not going to get off the ground if they don't value it and then embody it as well. You know, they do need to... You know, if I was to walk, as I said, walk past a, a meeting room with a sort of ageing... Um, age got nothing to do with it. With a, with a, a tired-looking chief exec who clearly doesn't do a great deal to look after themselves, um, sends emails at all hours of the day and night and all this kind of thing, then I would be concerned about how serious they were about their well-being policies within that organisation. It really needs to be embodied, lived and breathed at that top level in order for it to successfully permeate throughout the organisation and then extend out to the customers and clients. Yeah, makes sense. Right, final question from me and then we can make any, any final comments. But... Um... You talked a lot about what the good organisations do and what you've seen different uh, firms doing in terms of tackling this in a really productive and preventative way. Uh, There's some organisations who get it right, who do a a fantastic job, who generally care about the well-being of their employees. And I I imagine, Leanne, there's some organisations you've either worked with or seen or heard of that get it badly wrong. And actually, they're they're anything but looking after the well-being of their people. In those cases, in the second example, in those cases where people just, in fact, they've got the opposite, Leanne, they've got, they've got a really, um, you know, negative uh, level of well-being in the organisation. It's actually counterproductive. Where you see that happening, what are they doing? What are the big no-nos? What are, what generally being, are generally the antagonists, if you like, for, for declining well-being in organisation? I think you mentioned a few of them then, long hours, uh, working mm. into the evening, maybe it's oppressive uh, management styles. But what are the types of things you see which really, really starts to, um, you know, reduce well-being in their employees? Mm. Well, the one thing you, you want a lot of rushing through an organisation is energy. And um, a lack of energy can often come from something like the meeting culture. Too many meetings. Um, there's no apparent outcome to a meeting. Uh, they're... People are invited as a kind of courtesy rather than you need to be there. Um, so that was, that's one thing that can definitely be looked at. And a simple little hack for that is just to have a meeting, a standing meeting. You'd be amazed how quickly people will cut to the chase if they've got a hip hike from one leg to the other, um, you know, standing up. So that, that's a, a good way of cutting a meeting short. 
having a very clear agenda with a clear outcome as well and then having maybe half an hour for, for every meeting no meeting goes longer than 30 minutes so you really cut to it um there's one company that also starts their meetings at five past the hour in to ensure people turn up on time because it's something about they, they they trialed it and people turned up on time for those five minute past meetings than they did for on the hour meetings wow they'd arrive yeah it's, it's odd <laughs> bizarre because you think if you're going to be five minutes late you'll be five minutes late anyway but um so that that would be one thing not caring about people i tell you the main thing it's it's not matching intention with investment we haven't had any of these conversations recently but unfortunately it's taken a global pandemic to shoot well-being up the agenda but we've had conversations with companies before and you table a low thousands offer and there's the sucking in of teeth and the can we strip this out and could we just start with that? <laughs> yeah. And then they go with someone who's willing to do a webinar for free. I mean, yeah. what does that say to you as a, as a team member, as an employee? You know, the company say they care, but they don't yeah. because they're putting some, a bowl of fruit on the table. And, and that's OK, but it's not well-being. Yeah. It's just a little nudge to eat more fruit and... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Leanne. And I think um, when you speak about it, it, your passion comes across in terms of, you know, uh, why this is so crucial. And I completely agree. And I think uh, it, maybe the, the pandem pandemic is, is not a nice thing. Uh, um, and we're not saying that for one minute. But if the one thing that comes out of this is the realisation that actually, because I think traditional, even the oppressive, uh, you know, unempathetic leaders have, have, have become more empathetic through COVID. I think it's driven everyone, whether it's the manager who's now having two team meeting, teams meetings a week with their team, whereas they never saw the manager for a month, even though they were in the same office prior to COVID. I think I read something recently on where the level of engagement between managers and team members has gone up 65% in COVID because of the amount of online meetings we're having, the amount of face-to-face -face things we're doing by Zoom and Teams, etc. So, We've got to keep that going. We've got to take the positives out of the pandemic that it has, you know, risen well-being up the agendas for many organisations. Um, mm. And I think you're doing a great job in, in, in everything you're doing at Body Shop to really, um, to really call that out and, 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 and offer real solutions, valuable solutions that are both educational and practice, uh, practical, like we, like we said earlier. Um, Leanne, before Thanks. we go, before we go, Leanne, because I could talk to you all day long. Um, I'm sure we could probably go back and forwards all day long, mm. but... Yeah. Uh, given people's attention spans right now, we'll we'll leave it at around about 35 minutes. If people want to get in touch with you, because this is going to go out to our hub members, we've got thousands of, of clients on the T2 hub. It's going to go out via our social media platforms. So if people want to get in touch and find out a bit more about you, about Body Shot, about these types of packages you've talked about and how you're working with organisations on, on wellbeing, where, where can they check you out and where can they reach out to you? Yeah, sure. And firstly, thanks very much for having me on. I've really enjoyed the chat. And thank you uh, to, to use listening as well. Um, my, my website is bodyshotperformance.com and everything's on there. Um, and the best place to connect with me is LinkedIn. And I'm Leanne Spencer, L-E-A-N-N-E -N -N -E, Spencer, 1975 on LinkedIn. We put most of our, all of our content on there. Uh, I post personally from there once, twice a week, my thoughts on well-being and and all things related. So they're the best spots to go to. Awesome. Leanne, uh, thank you for coming on. I could talk to you all day long. Uh, let's do another, please, in a, in a month or so's time. Maybe pick a few other unique topics. And, sure. Uh, and let's, let's do another uh, as we come out of lockdown. Um, thank you for your time. And, yeah, that'll do for this T2 Hubcast. And we'll be back shortly uh, with another T2 Hubcast. So, Leanne Spencer, thank you very much. Thanks, Martin. All the best. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>